0: Or, mankind will perish. And that will be for the better. Because there will be a higher form of life that we brought about. It's participating in that machine that really is the ritual of this new religion. So it's really something new and distinct. It's a new peril. I thought that was one of the more terrifying quotes I've heard in my life. So, when I first heard the Tower of Babel story, I thought God came off a little badly. Um, remember, I wasn't raised in church like most people uh, are uh, who are Christians in their adulthood, and so. Um, God, here's God, the line that really struck me. Here's what God says. He says, this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. And I thought God came off badly because I thought he came off like a parent who was afraid to let their children excel. Maybe he was jealous or fearful that they would begin to rival him. And the reason I misunderstood this story was because at that time I failed to understand that the Tower of Babel story is only part of the story God is telling in the Scriptures about his, the nature of Himself and of us. See, just as God knew that the desire to be like Him, which after all was the temptation in the Garden. The temptation is not to eat the fruit. The fruit is just an instrument whereby the serpent tempts them to be like God. Just as God knew that that temptation would result in the death of His children, and very quickly we progress to brother killing brother as Cain kills Abel. Just as God knew that, He knew too that the power that those who were building the Tower of Babel, the ancestors of the Babylonians... He knew they were not acquiring this power in order to use it beneficently for the good of all. After all, their desire, expressed desire, even before the tower was built, was to make a name for themselves. So their goals were selfish. And this desire evident in both of these stories, the desire to be our own masters, to not let God be God and us be His servants and beloved children, well, this always results in us seeking to be the masters of others. Let me say it again really, really clearly. The refusal to let God be master always results in us seeking to be master over others. If you wish to understand the, full, the fullness of this dynamic, I can recommend no book to you more highly than C.S. Lewis's *Abolition of Man*. It's only like 88 pages long. Beautiful, eloquent, dense, but wonderfully rich book. Now, I don't know if you noticed it in passing this week, but this was the, this past week we celebrated the 75th anniversary of D-Day. Um, if you wish to see this truth about human nature. Um, really evident I would encourage you to go and search on the internet for pictures um, of things that happened during World War II but not just that any of the great conflicts of the 20th century. That great prophet Of modern atheism, Friedrich Nietzsche, after he declared the death of God, went on to say that as a result of people coming to believe that, that the 20th century, the century ahead for him, because he was writing in the 1800s, that the century ahead would be the bloodiest in history as people use their newfound freedom in ways that people would have found appalling hitherto. And he was right. More people died at the hands of other people during the 20th century than the previous 19 centuries combined. Most of us don't know the name Geron Lanier, but he was actually one of the original architects of the internet. There was a small group of them that decided how the internet was going to function and it's the way it continues to function today. In a recent interview which a congregation member passed on to me, he had this to say about the culture that's flowing forth from Silicon Valley right now into the whole world. He said this, he said, I feel that what's happened in the tech culture around this gigantic power concentration that's come about since we run these networks, it's essentially a new religion. If you talk to a lot of people, my friends in the tech world, the folks at Google, they'll say the reason they're gathering all this data is because ultimately what Google is, is not an advertising empire, but it's an AI, that is artificial intelligence empire. And the, what, is, what it's doing is building this super creature, this super AI that will inherit the earth, And then, either the true believers will be able to upload themselves into the giant computer in the sky and live forever or something, or mankind will perish. And that will be for the better. Because there will be a higher form of life that we brought about. It's participating in that machine that really is the ritual of this new religion. So it's really something new and distinct. It's a new peril. I thought that was one of the more terrifying quotes I've heard in my life. Anybody know who Lula and Nana are? One person does, you're the first one. This is Lulu and Nana, look at these little cuties. Lulu and Nana, their names are going to be in the history books as the first genetically modified human beings. It was done without their parents' knowledge in China. The alteration that was made to them may, not necessarily, but it may make them more resistant to HIV. That was the express purpose of introducing the alteration. But it also may have altered their brains so that now they have a greater advantage over others in cognition and memory. The same gene apparently does both things. It also has resu- resi- um, reduces their resistance to things like the flu, so they have about a 21% less chance of making age 75 than the rest of us. The sad part is, these beautiful little girls are the first salvo in what a lot of experts believe is going to be the arms race of the 21st century. The race to create a new, genetically enhanced human, or post human. What was science fiction in World War II with Captain America and the building of a super soldier is going to be science in the 21st century and everyone's going to be racing to do it because they're afraid someone's going to do it before they do. It seems that a humanity that neither knows nor acknowledges God is still trying to make a name for itself and even trying to remake itself. So, why would God do what we see Him do in the book of Acts today? Because what Pentecost is about is the undoing of the blessing God bestows upon humanity at the Tower of Babel. In the Babel incident, God confuses the languages of people so they can't amass enough power to destroy themselves. Why would God undo this curse or this blessing? Because now it's possible. Now it's possible for people to hear the good news about Jesus in their own language. And I think it's because now there is a way forward for human unity that does not necessarily involve destruction. We've spent the last seven weeks since Easter exploring just some of the evidence surrounding the gospel witnesses. We didn't even get into the archaeological evidence. So we're beginning to understand how firm a foundation we have for our Christian faith and for the, based as it is upon the resurrection of Jesus. And that resurrection, what Josh McDowell has, I think, accurately characterized as the most surprising fact of history, what it did was certify all that Jesus was and taught. It certified what Jesus taught about the God of Israel, whom He taught us to call Father. It's certified about what the scriptures of Israel said about human nature, that although we're fallen and depraved, we are still beloved by God. So beloved, in fact, that it, He sent His divine Son to take on the burden of our sins, to save us from ourselves. It's certified that these things are absolutely true. And this news needs to get out because what would a humanity possessed of this knowledge? How would it be different? How would it change? How are you being changed by the news of what Jesus has done for you and what God has done for you in Jesus Christ? At the very least, here are some of the things I could think of that people really deeply believe this that would change about us. We would be intimately aware of our own moral neediness. And so we would be less trusting in our own proposed political, social, and technological plans. We would look on others as made in God's image and so as in some way being holy. So we're not going to muck around with them like a science experiment because we've learned to be suspicious of our own desires as we say, I want them to be like this. We would know that in Christ God emptied himself himself, excuse me, in, in the words of the Philippians' hymn. And so we would know that to be Godlike meant to do the same thing ourselves. We'd be more tentative about exercising power over others. But I think most of all, most of all, we would know deep in our hearts that there is a form of servanthood which is not servility which doesn't denigrate us in our integrity or our honor. The great good news of what God has done in and through Jesus saves those who respond to it with trust. And it teaches them the true nature of the character of God as one of self-emptying love, as, one of, who's, as someone who stoops to save and surrenders in order to conquer receiving that good news and learning its ramifications. The Holy Spirit teaches us how we ought to act in the world as we face new technological and political challenges. The good news about Jesus is true and because it is true, it has the potential to make us truly free. And the fruit of that good news and the behavior of those who trust it not just with their forever after but right now with their lives is the great, it is the only but largely unacknowledged hope of this world both spiritually and materially. And we, you are entrusted with that hope. Anybody remember the first Star Wars movie? I mean, okay, the real first Star Wars movie, (laughs) episode four for you youngsters, (laughs) where the opening scene is, they've stolen this this plan for the Death Star, The, the evil empire's plans could be undone, and they take those plans and they put it in this little robot, or Princess Leia does. Anybody remember what the name of that movie actually is? a new hope, a new hope. We have the secret knowledge that can undo the plans of the evil empire and the emperor, the prince of this world. We each have a role to play, first to learn what the good news means for our lives and live more and more like it's true, and then to share that good news with others to the best of our ability. That's why God does what He does on Pentecost. The Holy Spirit is given to the church not just so we can be comfortable, although He is a comforter, but so that we can speak when we need to speak. So that He can give us the words to spread the good news of His Son and all that He has done for us. I heard a preacher tell tell a story. It's not in the Bible, but it's still a good story. Um, God and the archangel Michael are talking. And God is laying out for Michael the plan he has for the salvation of the world. And uh, talks about His sending his son and his son taking on human nature and being able to bear the burden of the sins of the world so that everyone else can ride his coattails into heaven and eternal life. And Michael's very excited. Lord, this is amazing, this is great, you are truly wonderful God. I mean, after all, the name Michael means who is like God, right? And, um, and then God goes on to explain that well, after his death and resurrection and ascension, his followers will have to talk about it and spread the news so that others can come to faith and trust him and be saved. Michael thinks about this for a moment and thinks about the people who are being saved and why Jesus needs to go to earth anyway because they're sinners and tend to fall off the horse. And he says, that sounds wonderful, Lord. What's the backup plan? (laughs) And God says, there is no backup plan. The world would change human behavior by altering our environments. Christ changes human nature by the indwelling of His Spirit. We have the privilege of joining God in His mission to save the world from the ravages of a rebellious humanity by the proclamation of the Gospel. How will we join Him? Will you join me for a word of prayer? Gracious and holy God, we are more blessed than we can express or deserve. You have, by pure grace, called us into the kingdom of your Son. You have forgiven our sins and given us new life, an opportunity to grow and to apply the knowledge as we learn it, as we grow deeper in our faith and our relationship with You, to apply the knowledge of the things of God to the challenges that are before us in our vocations, in our families, in our friendships, and in our world. Lord, grant us wisdom in this, but also courage. Help us to speak your word. Not worrying about whether we'll say the perfect thing, but simply sharing something that is so precious to us we cannot keep it to ourselves. Desiring not to fix others and be arrogant, but rather to share this beautiful, joyful message of what you have done for them and for us. Strengthen us and bless us, O Lord, in this our sacred, sacred commission. This we ask in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for He lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. God presence, my life.